Welcome to the podcast of Vertical Life Church. We hope and pray these messages encourage and challenge you to find your glorious purpose in Christ Jesus. For more information, visit us on the web at www.vlchurch.tv. Amen and amen. How are we doing this morning? Thank you guys for being here today. We are at day 21 of our fasting and prayer initiative. Today is the last day. I just pray that you guys are going strong. You're staying faithful. You're staying in it. You have less than 24 hours to go. And uh, and so we just encourage you with that. Uh, Again, we just appreciate everyone that signed up and came for the 24 hours of prayer. Uh, It blesses my heart to see our people come together. And I say this, we will never know the magnitude of what was accomplished in our time of prayer. But what we do know is that the power of God was released and his will is done. His will is done. And and when we get to heaven, and this won't be the only time we do this, but when we get to heaven, we will get to see the fullness of what our obedience on earth unleashed. Just by simply taking God at his word, trusting in his name, and praying according to his promises. So there was battle that was fought. There was war that was waged. And we know who is the victor. Jesus Christ, the Lord. 2 Corinthians 10, 3-4 says, We are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down strongholds. God's weapons are mighty. God's weapons are powerful. And he's given them to us as his church to wage good warfare. And so today, as we are finishing up, the, today's the last day in your packet if you've been doing the 21 days of uh, devotional. Today, we are kind of expounding on what today's devotional is as we are talking about the power of a warring church. Can somebody say amen? amen. The power of a warring church. And we're going to be in Acts chapter 12 for most of our text, if you, um, we're going to go through a lot of scripture today. We're going to try to get through it quickly or else we'll be here an hour and a half. So, uh, you know, I know you're, you're going to be, your bellies are going to be rumbling before that because you've already been fasting for 21 days, right? So we'll try to get you out of here quickly. So if you have the YouVersion Bible app, you can navigate to the live events page where you can pull up our church. All the notes will be there for you. So if you don't catch it here, uh, you can refer back there. Um, but we're going to read in Acts chapter 12. Before we do, we're going to pray. We're just going to in- invite the Lord to continue. I just feel an expectation this morning. I don't know if you've sensed that in the room. There's just a, maybe my heart's just going to explode. I don't know. But I'm just so full this morning, and I'm so thankful. Lord God, we thank you for your presence. God, we thank you for the worship, how every song was weaved together just, just to create an atmosphere where you can work and speak and move. God, thank you for bringing us into the throne room this morning. As your word says, when God's people praise, you inhabit the praises of your people. And so we we welcome you here this morning, God. We don't take it lightly that we are in the presence of the creator of the universe. Almighty God is in this place. So God, what we cannot see with our eyes, let us perceive with our spirit this morning. And God, we ask as we do each week because it's so important. This is the invitation Jesus said over and again, those who have eyes to see and ears to hear. So God, we say, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, a mind that understands, and a heart ready to believe and receive all that you have for us, God. And we just pray, even now, shake the foundation of this place. God, rush in upon us, Lord. We we don't care if you just overturn this entire moment that we planned. Because we just want to entertain the presence and glory of Almighty God. So God, as we deliver this word, let it be faithful to your intention. Let it be according to your heart. Let it encourage and build up and convict. And God, we just pray we walk out of here differently than the way we came in this morning. And all God's people said, amen and amen. We're going to read a passage in Acts chapter 12. And we're going to talk about a miraculous deliverance from bondage. It's kind of what we've been talking about over the 21 days is that we're engaged in spiritual warfare. And the enemy's goal is to get you in spiritual bondage. Because when he can gain leverage in your life, when he can get authority in your life, he can mess up your life. 
And he messes it up in all different ways, in your relationships, with your, with your spouse, with your significant other, with your kids, with your friends. He messes up your ability to, to work and be profitable and successful at your job. He, he messes up your health and gets into start causing your body to deteriorate before it should. There's all sorts of things the enemy tries to do in your life to get to derail your life and derail the purposes of God. And so over the course of this 21 days, we've been looking at the armor of God because God has given us armor to wear that if we wear it loud and we wear it proud, when the battle comes and the dust settles, we're still standing firm. And so this is, this is the point. And so we're getting ready to look at how God delivered somebody from bondage because God has called each and every one of us not only to come out of our own bondage, but to help set other people free. In Acts chapter 12, we're going to read about somebody you might have heard of before. His name's Peter. Not real well known, but, you know, once or, once or twice in there. A couple, couple important things. But in Acts chapter 12, beginning in verse 1, the King Herod has just begun to persecute the church. And he just killed James, uh, John's brother. Had killed him with the sword. And it pleased all the religious leaders of the day. Imagine that. Going to church, and everyone's rejoicing because the king just killed somebody you didn't like. That's kind of a cool church, you know, very uplifting in that one, you know. But that, that was what was happening. And so we're going to read here in Acts chapter one, or 12, beginning verse 1. It says, About the time King Herod Agrippa began to persecute some believers in church, he had the apostle James, John's brother, killed with the sword. When Herod saw how much this pleased the Jewish people, he also arrested Peter, this took place during the Passover celebration. Then he imprisoned him, placing him under the guard of four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring Peter out for public trial after the Passover. He was going to have him publicly executed. In verse 5, it says, while Peter was in prison, the church prayed. Somebody say the church prayed. The church prayed very earnestly for him. The night before Peter was placed on trial, he was asleep fastened with two chains between two soldiers. Others stood guard at the prison gate. So, like, this is maximum security for Peter. He, didn't, he couldn't even walk on the water more than five minutes. I mean, like, how threatening is this dude, right? He slashed a guy's throat, missed, and hit his ear. I mean, he ain't got good aim. This is Peter, right? But he's, like, under maximum security. Suddenly, there was a bright light in the cell, and the angel of the Lord stood before Peter the angel struck him on the side to awaken him and said, Quick, get up. And the chains fell off his wrists. Then the angel told him, Get dressed, put on your sandals. And he did. Now put on your coat and follow me, the angel ordered. So Peter left the cell following the angel. But all the time he thought it was a vision. Like he didn't even really know this was happening to him. Verse 10, They passed the first and second guard posts that came to the iron gate leading to the city, and it opened all by itself. So they passed through and started walking down the street. Then the angel suddenly left him. That moment, verse 11, Peter finally came to its senses. It's really happening. It's really true, he said. The Lord has sent his angel and saved me from Herod and from what the Jewish leaders had planned to do to me. When he realized this, he went to the home of Mary, the mother of John Mark, where many were gathered for what? For prayer. He knocked at the door in the gate, and a servant girl named Rhoda came to open it. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed that instead of opening the door, she ran back inside and told everyone. Like, come on, man, I just got out. Like, let me in. <laughs> Peter's standing at the door. Verse 15, you're out of your mind, they said. When she insisted, they decided it must be his angel. Verse 16, meanwhile, Peter continued knocking when they, you know, <laughs> Think about that for a minute. They're in prayer, but it's easier to believe that his guardian angel's outside the door than Peter's outside the door. Like, we're not talking about giants of the faith, right? But how many angelic encounters did they have that it was so common that that's where they went? Like, I mean, if you, if you just think about the, the story, it's crazy, but I love it. So while he's knocking, they were all amazed. He motioned to them to quiet down and told them how the Lord had led him out of prison 
tell James and the other brothers what happened, he said, and then he went to another place. So I just want to highlight a couple of things from this passage, and then we'll look at some other scriptures along with it. But in Acts chapter 12, verse 5, we see the very first thing I want to highlight. It's when God's people pray. While Peter was in prison, the church, not his family, not a few of his closest friends, but the whole church prayed earnestly for him. The whole church. And now that word earnestly, it says very earnestly, prayed for him. That word earnestly means strenuously or without ceasing. How is that different than how we typically pray when we gather? Do you know some people in prison? Maybe real jail, but do you know some people imprisoned by strongholds? By situations in their life they just can't get out of? What happened when they prayed earnestly? Well, Peter was miraculously released from prison. In James chapter 5, it says, The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. They were praying, and they continued to pray until the miracle happened. You see, when the church gathers not just for prayer, but for earnest prayer, that's intentional, powerful things happen. And we can read all through the book of Acts, and we're going to look at a few other passages when the church prayed and powerful things happened. Let's look at Acts chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. And we're going to go back to the, the old King James English here because it actually highlights the intention of the original language a bit better than some of the modern translations. But here in Acts chapter 1, it's talking about after Jesus rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven, he gave them the great commission, and now they're in this kind of quandary because there's 11 apostles because Judas hung himself. He was so grief, like grief-stricken with what he did. So he hung himself. Now they're, they're one minus, so they got to fill his spot. So they're getting ready to figure out how they're going to do that. And this is where we pick up in Acts chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. It says, these all continued with one accord. Somebody say one accord. They all continue with one accord in what? In prayer and supplication. Prayer and intercession. They were, they were seeking God. They were in prayer. They were seeking his presence. They were the, also with women, Mary and the mother of Jesus and his brethren. And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and, and said, um, and he continues to talk about gaining, uh, replacing Judas. But it says the number of the names together were about 120. So there's 120 disciples after the ascension of the Lord, after his resurrection, gathered together for prayer, for intercession, and, and this is what they intended to do. This is the moment, just in their, kind of in their lowest moment, they're like, what do we do now? What was their first thought? Let's get together and pray. And so they're doing that. They're praying. Now that word one accord means of one heart and one mind. They were single-minded. It wasn't everybody had their own plan and their own agenda. No, they were coming together for one specific purpose, one goal. And what was that goal? It was to pray. It was to pray. And let's look what happens when the church prays. If we continue in the story right into Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, it says, when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they, who were they? They were all the 120 that were gathered before. And look at what it says. They were all with what? With one, one accord of same mind, of same purpose. They were in one place. And what were they doing? Well, they were gathered in one accord to do what? To pray. Look at what happens. Verse 2. And then suddenly, somebody say suddenly. I love the suddenlies of the Bible. Anytime you see the word suddenly, something cool's about to happen. Like, just buckle up. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues of fire, and it sat upon each of them. They were filled with the Holy Ghost. They began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Imagine if we're in here praying, and all of a sudden hurricane-like winds 
blue in this place. What does that picture in your mind? That's crazy, right? There will be some wigs flying around <laughs> up in here. You know what I'm saying? It's just like everybody's going to come in all like nice. We're going to be leaving like, whoa, what happened in there? Like, I'm not going there. That, you know, that, that was crazy. But if you think about a wind, a mighty rushing wind blowing in, and not only is there a wind, but then everyone's got fire above their head. Like, you have to just picture what they're seeing and what they're experiencing. In the Psalms, it says he makes his angels, his servants, like wind and flames of fire. So the angels were in attendance, and they were pouring out the Spirit on each of those disciples, and they were being filled with the Spirit, and they began to manifest the glory and power of God in speaking in tongues and prophecy. God changed the environment by showing up. He shook the foundation of that place. In Acts chapter 4, they're gathered again, and wouldn't you know, they're praying again. Wouldn't you know it? But they had just received some more persecution. They were being oppressed by the religious leaders. They were kind of in fear for their life. They didn't know what to do. And so they gathered together again, and they prayed to the Lord. In Acts chapter 4, 29 through 35, it says, And now, O Lord, hear their threats, and give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And after this, what? After this prayer, the meeting place, what? Shook. And they were all filled again with the Holy Spirit. And what they do? They went out and preached in boldness. They were filled with anxiety, filled with worry because of what was happening all around them. One encounter with the Holy Spirit that shook the foundation of that place and they left differently than the way they walked in. That's why we say here at Vertical Life Church, we believe you can come the same, but you'll leave change when you encounter the risen Lord. And they preached the word of God with boldness. And look, all the believers were united in heart and mind. They were of one accord. And they felt that what they owned was not their own, so they shared everything they had. And the apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord. And God's great blessing was upon them all. There was no needy among them because who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. There was such an outpour of God's presence that it shook the foundation of the building where they were meeting in. They received this fresh anointing, and it changed their mindset and their attitude about their stuff. That they thought, nothing belongs to me anymore. It, it's the Lord's. And that's what these encounters are meant to do, to change the focus of our lives, of our passions, our pursuits. That's why we fast and praise to try to realign ourselves with the purposes of God. They went from cowering in fear to stepping out in faith and not even worrying about anything that they had because it belonged to the Lord. Think about doing that in today's day. Sell your car because somebody has a need. Sell your vacation home. Give up your timeshare. Empty your retirement account. We would lose our minds thinking about that. But one encounter with God didn't matter. Later, Paul and Silas are off evangelizing the world, and they get into some trouble. They end up in jail. In Acts chapter 16, 25 through 26, it says around midnight, Paul and Silas were what? Are you catching a theme here? I just, I don't know if you're like, if it's like going over the head or you're tracking with me, but Paul and Silas are praying and they're singing. How many of you know that singing to God is praying to song? It's not just humming a tune. It's you're praying these words. You're declaring these words to the Lord. So they're singing hymns, worshiping God, and the other prisoners were listening. Suddenly there was a massive earthquake and the prison was shaken to its foundations, and all the doors immediately flew open, and the chains of every prisoner fell off. My wife, Tony, mentioned this in our prayer gathering this morning before church. But Jesus said, where two or more are gathered in your name, I'm in the midst. It was just Paul and Silas in a cold, dirty floor in jail. No band, no background music. No lights, no comfort, just two guys who love Jesus with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And they didn't care who hurt them. 
or what was going on around them or what their situation was, they were going to give God glory because no matter what you're going through, he's still great and he's still good. And they were praising and they were worshiping. And what happened? The foundation shook. And the prison doors opened up. And everybody was able to walk free. And if you continue to read, you see Paul and Silas actually didn't leave the jail. They stayed. And God used that moment to lead the jailer to Christ in all of his household. How many of you know that what God does in you that his ability to shake you out of where you are and move you to where he wants you to be might be the only hope somebody else has in their life to encounter Christ. That's how important it is. It's not just because we're having this moment with the Lord. God has more than just us in mind. He has everybody whose life will touch in mind. And Paul knew firsthand what power we have access to in prayer. This is why he wrote in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 21, he says, always be joyful and never stop what? Pray earnestly. Never stop praying. This is one of the core values we have at Vertical Life Church, unceasing prayer. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. And don't stifle the Holy Spirit. Don't scoff at prophecies, but test everything that is said. Hold on to what is good and stay away from every kind of evil. This is such an important thing, and I just look at that, that phrase, and we kind of jump on this a lot of times, talking about stifling the Holy Spirit and not being religious, not getting in God's way, but how might we stifle the Spirit? There are many ways we can stifle the Spirit. Flirting with evil is one of them. And there are a lot of things in this world that are evil, but Christians flirt with them for the sake of being accepted by culture, being included. Being in the know. Flirting with evil. It says, flee all appearances of evil. That's one way we can stifle the spirit. But a way I think that was intended by Paul, which is what he says right before he says, don't quench the Holy Spirit. He says, always pray. Never stop praying. Maybe one way we quench the spirit is we just don't pray enough. That we're not willing to endure in earnest prayer. For God's will to be accomplished in our lives and through our church. What does God want to do through the prayers of his people? Well, he tells us. Second Chronicles 7, 14 through 16 says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I'll hear from heaven, forgive their sins, and restore their land. The curses of your land will be broken. God will bring restoration. The curses on your family can be broken. The curses on your life can be broken if God's people do what? They come together and pray in humble repentance, seeking God's face. And then he says, my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to every prayer made in this place. For I've chosen this temple to set it apart to be holy, a place where my name will be honored forever. And I will always watch over it for it is dear to my heart. The temple he's referring to is the temple Solomon built thousands of years ago, the temple that no longer stands because of the rebellion of God's people. But when Jesus poured out the Spirit, and the Spirit came to live in each and every one of us, we became the new temple of the living God. And the Bible says that all of God's promises are yes and amen in Christ Jesus, which means this promise applies to us. If God's people, who are called by the name of Christ, humble themselves and pray, turn from their wicked ways in repentance and seek His presence, seek His face, he will hear and he will restore. And his eyes will always be open and his ears will always be in attention to everything we pray. That's what God wants to do. And of all these examples of God moving in power through prayer, there's one common ingredient. Again, it's summed up in Acts chapter 1 and 2. We're not going to look there, but it was that phrase. They were all of one accord. With the same heart and the same mind, they were singly minded in this endeavor to pursue God, to intercede together, and so they prayed earnestly. And I've only heard of one church here lately, it was in the news a year or so ago, that came together, they got their whole network to come together to pray for a young family who just lost their baby. Little girl died. And so they were asking their network to pray that God would have grace and raise her from the dead. And unfortunately, God did not answer that prayer. 
But what was even more tragic is how people from the church criticized them for even daring to pray such a prayer. And why would they criticize? Well, it's because our generation and our culture has a really hard time just believing the truth of the Word of God. Yet, we don't believe it. This is a hard message for me, okay? Because it gets to me too. If I really believe some of the things I say, I believe I'd live differently. I do different things. We criticize other people's faith because we don't really believe what God's word says. We don't believe not only God can still do miracles, but that he does do miracles. I mean, if you really believed that God would answer your prayer as you're praying for a dying relative or someone who's struggling with something, there's no time for anything else. There, there's no time. The time is now. And I love this story of Peter because even though Peter was free, he was knocking at the door, we're laughing at it, but they didn't believe it. They didn't believe that God had answered their prayer. And it's so telling of our nature. It's so telling of how we often pray for things, but deep down we really don't believe that it's going to happen. And so I have to ask, why? And I think it's because a lot gets in our way. There's a lot in our lives that's stifling the Holy Spirit, and so our prayers can only go so far. And our willingness to dig in and pray only goes so far. Yet when we see the church come together in single-mindedness, being of one accord to pray in unity, powerful things can occur. question I am asking myself, and I ask you this question today, what are you willing to pray for in that way? Who are you willing to pray for in that way where you don't stop until you see the miracle come? If someone invited you to a prayer meeting and said, it's not going to end until we see God move, would you go? Would you go? And would you stay? Would you be willing to call your boss and say, I can't make it. I've got something more important to do. These are questions. When we become single-minded of one heart and one mind, we're going to watch the strongholds come crashing down. And this is what I believe God wants for us. When he said, those who would follow me must actually pick up their cross and follow me. To hold on to your life, you're going to lose it. But to lose your life for my sake, you're going to find it. I think he meant it. I think he really did. So Paul says, never stop praying. But he also says, pray in the spirit at all times and on every occasion for believers everywhere. A warring church, beloved, is a praying church. And God's heart for his church is that we'd be called a house of what? A house of prayer. So there's great power to warring church. Great things will be accomplished through the warring church. And I just want to talk here briefly about how do we walk this out? How do we walk in warfare as a warring church? Number one, and we're going to go through this quickly. We war for the world. And how do we do that? We pray and we preach. Romans 1.16 says, I am not ashamed of the good news about Christ. It's the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and all the Gentiles. What do we preach? We preach the gospel. Christ is the hope of glory. He is the hope of the world. There's nothing else worth talking about other than Jesus Christ crucified and risen from the dead. Where do we preach it? Matthew 28, 19 says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all what? All nations. That means everywhere. We preach the gospel, and we preach it everywhere. Preaching the gospel is also the greatest act of warfare. Why? Colossians 1, 13 through 14 says he's rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. The gospel is the only hope, only through responding to the gospel, that our sins can be forgiven, and we're able to switch sides from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. The gospel is the only hope. It's the only chance so that there's nothing else worth debating. It doesn't matter what your view of end times is. It doesn't matter if you think God created the world in six days or six million billion years. What matters is Jesus Christ lived a sinless life. He was born of the Virgin Mary. He died on the cross for our sins and rose victorious from the grave. And whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's it. That's what matters. 
And that's how we war for our world. We pray for the world and we preach to the world. How do we war for our community? Well, we pray for it and then we serve it. Hebrews 13, 16 says, don't forget to do good and share with those in need. These are the sacrifices that please God. Proverbs 18, 16 says, giving a gift can open doors. It gives access to important people. Being generous in your community opens doors. Galatians 6.10 says, therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do what? We should do good to everyone, especially those in the family of faith. How do we serve our community? We pray for it, and we serve it. That's how we war for our community. That's how we open inroads into preaching the gospel to those who need a relationship with Christ. Well, how do we war for the oppressed? We pray, and we restore them talked about this a couple weeks ago or last week we lead them through inner healing through deliverance we use our spiritual gifts we intercede for them we lead them to repentance second corinthians again 10 3 through 6 says we're human we don't wage war as humans do we use god's mighty weapons not worldly weapons to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments we use what god's given us to overturn the lies of the enemy and lead people into their freedom and sometimes people have believed a lot of lies in their life. Sometimes from a very young child. You're not good enough. You'll never amount to anything. You'll never succeed. You're not worth anything. You're not worthy of love. You'll never make it. All these things we begin to believe. These are the lies that we overturn so people can actually know the good and loving God that we serve. Galatians 6, 1 through 3 says, Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin... You who are godly should gently and humbly help that person onto the right path. This is us helping each other find freedom and healing. Be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share each other's burdens and obey the law of Christ. If you think you're too important to help someone, you're only fooling yourself. You're not that important. There's a problem with America. We think we're all pretty important. It's a very individualistic society. But even as we're leading people through inner healing and deliverance, trying to help people break free from the spiritual attachments that they have, Jesus told us some demons and strongholds can only be cast out through fasting and prayer. That it's not enough just to quote a couple verses and say, a, you know, spend a little time praying together, that it takes intentional seeking the Lord. In Matthew 17, 20, Jesus tells his disciples why they couldn't cast a demon out of a young man. He says, you don't have enough faith. But I tell you the truth, if you had a faith even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it would, it would move. Nothing would be impossible. But this kind of demon won't leave except there be prayer and fasting. Well, man, the mustard seeds are pretty small. So if they didn't have even that size, how little was their faith? But see, what Jesus isn't telling them, he's not saying your faith needs to grow. He's saying even if your faith was only this small. Did you catch the nuance? Even if your faith was only this small, you could speak to a mountain and move it from its place. What's he saying? He's saying that faith that doesn't quit is what sees the enemy leave. Faith that doesn't give up when it gets hard. Faith that doesn't throw in the towel when things aren't going the way that you think. Faith that doesn't allow the enemy to throw up smoke screens and knock you off course. Faith that stays in it and trusts in the word of God, trusts in the name of Jesus to see it through. That's the faith that's going to see the mountain move. And no matter what oppression we're up against, it could be somebody who's like the guy they called Legion, who was filled with thousands of demons, who the community couldn't even hold with, with metal um, chains, and, and he would run naked through, the, through the, uh, the graves, and it was just terrorizing everybody. Even somebody as oppressed like that can be delivered in Jesus' name if God's people had earnest faith. Or we said, it doesn't matter how little experience I have. I believe Jesus' name is powerful, and what he said is true, and I'm not stopping until I see the miracle. So we war for the oppressed by ha not having the greatest faith, but by having a faith that doesn't quit, a persevering faith. And that's one of the things we prayed for through the 24 hours of prayer, is that we would have a persevering faith. Because that's the only way the enemy wins. Did you know that? The enemy can only win in your life when you quit. When you give up. You know, every person that commits suicide loses to the enemy. Why? Because eventually they believe his lies long enough that they decide that it would just be easier if they gave it all up. But that's when the enemy wins. You don't find freedom when you quit. You find freedom when you endure. 
when you stay in it. Beloved, we are a warring church, and as a warring church, we are God's hands and feet. He has chosen us, appointed us, empowered us. Matthew 5, 14, he says, you're the light of the world. Like moths to a flame, his love has poured out through you so his light can lead people to salvation. In Colossians 1, 24 and 25, it says, Christ in you is the hope of glory. Did you know that that's why he lives in you? It's so that the hope of glory can be revealed to the world. I heard my pastor growing up tell us this story about this young girl who went to Sunday school one day, and she came home with this really puzzled look on her face. And uh, she said, Dad, I have to ask you some questions. He's like, okay, hon, what, what, what's on your mind? And she says, so when Jesus lives in our hearts, right, he lives in us, right? And she's like, yeah. And uh, he's like, okay, well, how tall is Jesus? And he's like, hmm, probably average height, maybe about six foot tall. And she's like, okay, well, how tall am I? He's like, mm, about three or four feet. He's like, why? Well, well what's going on? And she's like, well, Dad, if I'm four feet, and Jesus is six feet, and Jesus lives in me, then he'll stick out, won't he? He should. He should stick out. Because Christ in you is the hope of glory. The light you have is meant to shine before other people. And as we walk together, as we war together, Jesus said in Matthew 16, 18, that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. If you think of hell as a stronghold and that it has gates, gates don't march forward. Gates keep things in. They keep things in. They keep things out. That's what gates are intended to do. So if gates won't prevail against the church, that means the church is banging on the gates. And if they won't prevail, that means we have the ability to tear down strongholds and pull people out of the fire. The mission of the church is not just to come together on Sundays and sing songs and hear a message. The mission of the church is to bankrupt hell and populate heaven. That's our mission. And as we're doing that together, we'll all champion Revelation 12, 11, that talks about overcoming the dragon, overcoming the devil. How? By the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. That we walk in faith together, arm in arm, and we overcome the enemy's schemes, his plans. We defeat the enemy, that all the attacks that he throws our way through our faith in Christ and our testimony of God's goodness. So what is the power of a warring church? It's the power to beat back hell. Can I get an amen? And we can say loud and proud as a warring church, not today, Satan. When you're struggling with an oppression, when you're struggling with a th recurring thing in your life and your family, if you're part of the church, a warring church, you can declare not today, Satan. When your spouse is not getting along with you and you've had enough of it, you can rise up in faith in the name of Jesus and say, not today, Satan. You're not getting any more leverage. You're not getting any more room. I'm submitting to the authority of Christ. And the Bible says if I submit to God and resist the devil, you got to go. Not today, Satan. John 17, 21, Jesus prayed for the church before he was crucified. Before he went to the cross, he prayed for the church, and here's what he prayed, that they may all be one, of one accord, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. You realize that when the church is in one accord, of one heart and one mind, will be the evidence the world needs to believe that Jesus is who he said he is. Through love and unity of being one accord, God's presence will be evident and in demonstration in our midst. And this type of church, one that's driven by love, one that's of one heart and one mind, is fueling, is fueled by a preserving faith and a persevering faith, will be filled with God's presence. And beloved, that's the kind of church I want to be a part of. That's the kind of church we're trying to build. That's the kind of church we're trying to cultivate here. 
not just so that we have experiences, but so that the world can see and know that God is alive. Jesus is on the throne, and he is the true and only Savior of the world. But this reality is not just for us alone. Ephesians 3, 7 through 13, Paul gives us a mystery about what God is using the church to do. It's not just to tell the world of who he is, but here's what Paul says. He says, of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I'm very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through the what? So through the church, the manifold wisdom, the fullness of God's wisdom might be made known to who? The rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith. So I ask you not to lose heart over the suffering that I have been going through for you, which is your glory. What's, what did Paul just say? He said that God is using us to tell the world about Jesus, yes. But he's also telling the principalities and powers, the rulers of the unseen world, the dark forces that are trying to tear everything down. You might be powerful, more powerful than them in your creation, but when I am in them, they will overthrow you. You think you're high and mighty? Watch how I use the weak to overthrow the mighty. Look how I use the finite to overthrow the infinite. Look how no matter what you come against me, no matter what you try to do, my power in them is greater than any power that is in the world. God is using us to put his stamp on all creation in heaven and on earth that he is God Almighty. There is no one like him. There is no one beside him. He's using the spirit-filled church united in heart and mind who passionately pursues his presence, walks in his power to release captives from the enemy camp and to show every principality, power, and ruler who is the king of the hill, and that's Jesus. This is what we're called to do. This is what we want to be a part of. And this is the commitment we're asking for. Will you help us inspire a heart of prayer in this city by helping Vertical Life Church become a hub for prayer, worship, healing, and deliverance? Will you take up the mantle to war in this community by praying and preaching the gospel and love as many as will hear it? Will you commit to praying until the ground shakes, the prison doors open, and the captives are released? This is God's call on us. Let's bow for prayer as we go into a time of response. And I just want to close as we are challenged in our spirit. I just want to close with this prayer from the Apostle Paul. It's a prayer for spiritual strength. He prays this in Ephesians chapter 3. And he says... And I, and I just, God, I just offer this up to you as our prayer today. God, Father, I pray, Lord and creator of everything in heaven and on earth, I pray that from your glorious unlimited resources, you'll empower us with inner strength through your spirit. Then Christ will make his home in our hearts as we trust in him. God, our roots will grow down into God's love, into your love, and keep us strong. And may we have the power to understand, as all your people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep your love is. May we experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to fully understand. May we experience that we can be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from you. God, that is our prayer. But not just so that we can walk whole, but that you can use us, Lord, to enlarge your territory, to enlarge your kingdom in this community. We ask this in the name of the Lord Jesus. With every head bowed, every eye closed, we're just going to challenge us today in this moment. Do you have a persevering faith? Do you have a love that God can use to unlock the doors of someone else's prison? That statement convicts me. Do I have the love that I need? that God can use to unlock the doors of someone else's prison. Beloved, I believe there's something coming on the horizon, something that Yahweh God wants to remind us. That's why we're putting on the armor now, this year.
He wants to remind us about the armor, on how to be ready to stand, on how to fight, on how to war, how to march forward. But we can't as long as we're still apathetic to his calling, as we're still numb to the word. The calling to be a warring church driven by love with a persevering faith. And I just believe that it's time to surrender again. And I believe just even now as I sense it in my own heart, that the Holy Spirit is speaking. He's, he's placing a burden. He's placing a conviction on the hearts of many in this room. And, and if you've been in church a long time, you've grown up in church, you, you know how it goes. The altar's open right now. If God's speaking to you and he's moving, I'm not even going to, like, make an, the announcement. You just start coming forward and get down on your hands and knees before the Lord and start doing work with the Lord. You don't even have to wait for Tony to start singing. I just, I just sense in my heart that God wants to shake this place today. He wants to let the fear of the Lord re-enter his church and realign us to the purposes of God. And if God is speaking to you about having a deeper love, about having a persevering faith, about uh, being a church, being a person willing to war, I just encourage you to just come and kneel down and get before the Lord. And to continue to pray until the hardness breaks, the pride breaks, the strongholds of apathy break. And you can arise with a fresh, renewed, intimate love and passion for the Lord. There are real strongholds at stake. There are real problems in real people's lives. There are real breakthroughs at stake. And as long as people are quenching the spirit, God's not going to be able to burst out in this place like we all desire. My time of prayer, I'm the 24 hours of prayer, just kind of seeking the Lord about our church and about the future of our church. And there have been many prophecies spoken over our ministry about God building it and growing and being this exciting place. And I just look at just where we are and how we've been kind of in the same place for about 10 years. And I'm just asking God, what is, what is it we need to be doing? What is... What's going on that's keeping us from growing to that next point, from our, our people growing, our, you know, the manifestation of your presence growing? What is it that's holding us back? And I had a vision of a large church building with a glass front, a big parking lot, big ornate uh, lobby area, and the name, our logo was on the top of the building, and I, so I knew it was our church. And I'm beginning to be escorted in, and I'm thinking, wow, this place is amazing. And as I'm coming in, I notice that the back half of the building wasn't complete yet. It's still wood and studs. And the, I don't know who was leading me through, but as I'm going through, the person starts saying, yeah, the, the place isn't finished yet because there's a problem. And I was like, well, what's the problem? And we went into the back area, and they showed me that the building had leaky pipes. And that's where the vision ended. And that phrase, leaky pipes, has just been in my heart for a couple, just the last day or so. And I'm just, I'm praying, God, is it me? Is there something in my life? Is, what, what is it? Is it in our leadership? Is it in the way we've, we've set up, you know, the ministry? And I've just been praying, and I've encouraged others to pray with me. And as I was finishing my notes for this message, I just, this was brought back up. And I just believe that's a word for some people in here. The moment I said leaky pipes, God spoke to you. God spoke to you. And I just pray that these are the moments, these are the moments where we have a choice. Do we plug the holes or we continue to leak? When a pipe is leaking, it doesn't have the pressure that it needs. Therefore, the flow of water can't go through the pipes that it needs to go through to supply water to the rest of the building. And in the scripture, water represents the Holy Spirit, the, the well of life springing up in the life of a believer. And I just believe that those, those pipes represent a stifling of the Holy Spirit. And there are leaky pipes here that need to be plugged up. And so I'm praying, God, send the plumber. Whatever you got to do, send the plumber to stop the leaks. But if, if God's speaking to you and that leaky pipe, you're, you've got leaky pipes in your own life, you should be down here at this altar. And you come. And help us stop the leak. This is where revival begins. This is where God is calling us. That the fear of the Lord would fill us house again and we would be desperate 
for a move of God that would shake the foundation of this place, that would open prison doors and set captives free. And many of you, you have captives in your family. You have captives in your close friend circle. You have captives at your workplace. There are people that are burdened on your heart, and this is where we intercede. This is where we get on our hands and knees and we say, God, I'm not going to move until I have a word from you. God, I'm not going to move until you make a move. And this is where it's done. This is the house of prayer. And so this is the invitation. If God is speaking to you, if God has put somebody on your heart, then it's time to pray. And I believe that the first act of obedience is just getting out of the normal routine. And I just want to see this place filled up, the front filled up. Once it's filled up, we can fill up the aisle. We can fill up the back area. If this gets full, then we can go into the meeting place and just have continued prayer. This is what we've been praying for 24 hours for, that the presence of God would have his way in this place. And so I'm going to pray. And when Tony begins to sing... I just encourage you, come and kneel down before the Lord, and let's raise up uh, our burdens to the Lord. Let's plug these holes. Let's intercede for those who are entrapped in strongholds, and let's pray until we get a word from the Lord, that we experience a move of God in our own hearts and lives. Lord God, we just pray right now in the name of Jesus. We thank you that you're raising us up to be a warring church. We thank you. You've given us the armor. We know how to use the word. You've got it before us, Lord. We ask, God, that you would unleash now the full power and weight of your Holy Spirit. God, that you'd break off all hard-heartedness, all fear. We'd be like Paul and Silas and not care what anybody else is going around. We're just going to pour out our love to you and seek you and let you move. God, in the name of Jesus, we just ask you to have your way right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand to our feet. You respond to the Lord as God is leading you. And we're going to ask you to come and pray as Tony... church we want to say thank you for listening if this ministry has blessed you in any way please consider making a tax deductible donation to www.blchurch.tv forward slash give thank you and god bless